0: Let's pray. O oh God of vengeance, O oh Jehovah, shine forth. Rise up, O oh Judge of the nations, render to the proud their worth. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are our stronghold, and as we see this morning, you are the stronghold of David. You are a refuge. And oh Lord, we pray now that as we come to your word, as we open it, as we read it, that we would have understanding as we hear it proclaimed, that you would give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Father, open our hearts so that we might understand your word today. We ask that you would bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word for the sake of of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and turn with me in your copies of God's Word to First Samuel chapter 22. Samuel 22, begin at verse 1 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 23. Hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adulam. And his brothers and all his father's house heard it. They went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herath. Now Saul heard that David was discovered. And the men were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the heights with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about, about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is as at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomites, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitu. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has arisen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. The king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priest. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. Nab, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped. And fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg of the Edomite was there. That he would surely tell Saul. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. The grass withers. The flower fades away. But the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. A Sunday morning we were in 1 Samuel 21 and... What we saw last week lays all the groundwork for what we have read and what we hear this morning. We saw last Sunday morning David going to Ahimelech the priest. And David was not truthful with the priest. But yet God provided for David provisions, bread for he and his men, and and a weapon. And then we saw him go into Achish. Or go into Gath, and the to the king of Gath. And we heard for the first time that David was much afraid of the king of Gath. And as he was afraid, he acted as a madman. So that he could escape the hand of the king. But we also heard of another man last week, Doeg, the Edomites, and We know that Doeg saw David there with the priest. And and David saw him, as our text tells us this morning. And David knew that word would return to Saul concerning his visit to Ahimelech and the priest. And and so David is, is now a fugitive. He's been running for his life for the last few chapters and that will continue. Until Saul is dead, David is always in danger of dying. Now it's interesting, David is a fugitive, but he has committed no crime. What crime has David committed against Saul the king? What sin has David committed against Saul the king? No, Ahimelech testifies this morning to Saul the king before he dies that Saul had no better servant than David. Saul this morning, as we have seen as well over the last few weeks, again, he is being controlled by his, his murderous hatred of David. God has given this man over to his sins, and Saul is going to, to seek to it, see to it that David. Dies, if at all possible. But now Saul stoops to a new low. For Saul murders the priest. Saul, here this morning, as one commentator stated, we see in Saul in this chapter the spirit of Antichrist. Now what is that spirit? Well, it's the spirit that we see in the world today. It is the spirit that we have seen in the world since the fall of man. There's nothing new under the sun. You see it in governments. You see it in civil magistrates. Those who seek to to put to death the people of God. And we see it this morning. And so for for the, the, the spirit of Antichrist, there's only one thing that matters. Just as only one thing mattered to Saul, which was the death of David... But for for the spirit of Antichrist, that spirit that is over and against us, one thing matters, and that is the death of the church and God's people. We have an example of that this week. Again, as we have heard, as we have seen what has happened in Afghanistan, those Christians there, the small number of Christians who have given up that false religion as they have come to faith in Christ, They all have have been marked for death. Every one of them. The Taliban, if not already, will seek them out. They will kill them. They will murder them. Why? Because they are against Christ and His church. And so keep that in mind as we go through this chapter. That spirit that is pervading This chapter in Saul, that spirit of Antichrist. And so there are three things I I want us to notice. The first we see in the first five verses. And and it is this, that that God is still providing for David, even as he is a fugitive. Last week we heard of David's spear. Did you notice a change in David? This week. Yes, David, he has escaped to a cave. The way things are going in this world, I might want to cave very soon to go live in myself. But he escaped there. And, and there we find men coming to David. Uh, we find his brothers at his father's house. They hear of what is going on and they come down to him in Adolam. And, and everyone, notice the, the group of men that David gathers. Everyone who is in distress. Everyone who is in debt. Everyone who is bitter in soul. Gathered to him. Now as David is doing this. Notice David is not acquiring an army. To go and attack Saul. David respects the king. David will have opportunities to to kill the king. And he will not do it. You see David here is is not doing anything to, to destroy Saul. What he is doing is seeking to secure himself. David knows the promises of God to him. David knows that he is blameless in his actions towards Saul, but he also knows that that he needs help. Saul has an army, now David has an army. David cannot do this on his own, but he is seeking to preserve his life and the life of those who are with him, the, the lives of his family, and so he becomes commander over them. I imagine it was kind of a, a ragtag bunch of men joined with David. But they were there, 400 of them. Then notice David leaves from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he does so for a specific purpose. He takes his father and his mother there. Now, do you remember Moab? You remember who came from Moab? David's great grandmother. And so there's a the family connection there, isn't there? There's a family connection. There is, there is Moabite blood in David's veins. And so he goes back to Moab and he speaks there to the king and he asks them, the king, or he says in verse 3, please. Let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And you see, that is the change in David from last week to this week. Till I know what God will do for, will do for me. Again, last week it was fear. Now this week is faith. With this one statement, we understand David has put this whole situation In the hands of God. And he knows whatever transpires. It will be. What is good for him. What is good for the glory of his God. And so he leaves. His father and mother with the king. And he goes back. And there we find a prophet by the name of Gad. Speaking to David. Now understand this. David now has a prophet. Saul does not. And what does that mean? Well, it means that David is going to be relying upon the Word of God. The message of God to him through Gad the prophet. Saul will be operating from here on out, not with the the prophet of God instructing him, but he'll be going uh, on his own insights and his evil and wicked intentions. And so even with this, God is protecting David. God is providing for David. And here Gad tells David, go back to Judah. Now why is that? Why does Gad tell him to go back to Judah? Well, it's to prepare David and Judah for what is to come in the future. The fact that as he goes back and he gives service there in Judah and does some service to his tribe and his country, they will begin to see David, as God sees him now, as the true and rightful king of Israel. And so it's a wise move. And so we see God providing. Yes, David is on the run. Yes, David is running for his life. But God is providing every step of the way. But then second of all, we see... In in Saul, that spirit of Antichrist, as he murders the priest at Nod. Now in verses 6 through 8, Saul calls together his cabinet, if you will. And in a real sense, he's throwing a, a pity party because he's saying, all of you are against me. Every one of you are against me. Uh, He says to his servants, Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? Well, poor Saul. He deserves everything that's coming to him. He deserves everything that is happening to him. He goes on and says, No one tells me my old son Jonathan uh, is in covenant with David to take the throne from me. Now just like with everyone who is not a believer, Saul here is not speaking the truth. Now in his mind he is, and his mind is, he thinks all of this is happening, but it's not. Yes, Jonathan and David made a covenant, but it wasn't to overthrow Saul, was it? It was a covenant of friendship. It was a covenant that they, they would be friends, that their, seed would take, that their seed would take care of one another, that they would remain friends, their families would remain friends. It's a beautiful covenant of Christian friendship. And so Saul is angry and he's mad and he feels sorry for himself. And then we hear of that man we heard of last week. Now you see why Doeg was mentioned last week. It prepares us for this week. There is Doeg, the Edomite. He says, I've seen David. I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now again, there's a half truth here. Doeg is not completely honest with Saul. Doeg did not tell Saul that that David did not speak the truth to the priests. Remember, he asked, what's your business? He said, I'm on the king's business. There was no king's business. Doeg could have said that. He could have cleared the priest with that one statement. But he doesn't. All he cares about is currying favor with the king. And so Saul goes and he calls and he summons Ahimelech, the priest. And he lays out an indictment. Against the priest. Noag lays out an indictment. And so the chief, the priest is summoned and he comes. And notice what Saul says in verse 12 Hear now, son of Hittub. And he answered, Here am I, Lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? You have given bread and a sword, have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. Now again, is that what happened? No. David is not lying in wait. David is not seeking the life of the king. The king is seeking the life of David. And Ahimelech here shows much courage, doesn't he? I believe by now he probably knows what's about to happen to him. But he speaks the truth. He says, "And, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house, is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. Now that is the truth. Ahimelech did not know all the story. He did not know all that was going on. But he knew that David... It was a faithful servant of Saul. And he had inquired for David before. This was nothing new. But it did not please the king. You shall surely die, Ahimelech. You and all your father's house. And what could be more unjust than what Saul does here? What could be more unrighteous than what we are about to see? You see, Saul did not care about justice. He only cared for his lust for revenge and the blood of David. And so Saul then turns to the guards, his guards, and he says, kill, kill the priests. Matthew Henry put it this way Never was the command of a king more bearishly given. Never was the command of a king more honorably dis- disobeyed. The guards of the king had more sense and grace than their king. And they did. They would not murder these priests. They knew that this was not pleasing to the Lord, and so they disobeyed, and they disobeyed at the threat of their own lives. Did they not? He could have them killed. Now they were more in number than the man who does kill the priests. But they would not obey that unlawful order. But Doeg did. He murdered the priest. We read that 85, who wore the ephod, died. And it didn't stop there, did it? Not only did He kill the priest, but He put to the sword man and woman, a child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, all died. And we've seen this before, haven't we? We've seen cities, whole cities, whole peoples, being devoted to the band, Being devoted to destruction. What is the difference between now and what we have seen previously? You see, previously it was God in His justice who said to do it. And God is righteous in His judgment. Saul is not. And so Saul murders a whole city. He murders them in cold blood. How barbaric. Saul's wickedness is now seen for all of Israel. And then there's a third thing we see, and, and we see the contrast between Saul and David. Saul is a murderer. He has one thing on his mind he's going to murder David, and he's going to murder anyone who gets in his way. But David, we see having compassion. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons Your father's house. What is David saying there? He's saying I'm responsible for what has happened. I'm an accessory to murder is really what he's saying. He felt that he was responsible for all that had happened. Because he went to Ahimelech the priest. He went looking for sustenance. He went looking for a way to defend himself. And then notice the compassion of David in verse 23. He says, stay with me. Do not be afraid for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Again, we see that difference. David last week afraid. Now he's saying, do not be afraid. To Abiathar. Stay with me and I'm going to protect you. Now again, look back and, and see the contrast. Between the words of Saul and the words of David, in verse 16, the king said, You shall surely die, you and all your father's house. And now David says to one remaining of that house, Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. And so what is God doing? He is lifting up David and He's, fur, he's, he's disgracing Saul all the more. God is preparing for David to become king. Now, what application can we make here this morning? Well, I've already mentioned that in Saul, we see the spirit of Antichrist. You know, John tells us that there are many Antichrists, and we can look at the history of the world, and we see many, don't we? And we, we go back to the Old Testament, and, and probably the greatest example of all that is say, Pharaoh. King of Egypt. He was definitely anti-Christ. We see it in the leaders of uh, of Babylon, the Syria. We we see it throughout history, don't we? We see those who are raised up, those who who come to power and they are against Christ and His church His people. But did you notice that there was a group of men who said no to the king? Did you notice that? His own guards. They were given an unlawful order and they said, King, we're not going to do that. We're not going to murder these people. And so how are we to react to that? How how should we as the church react? Because what we see with Saul, we, we see... What we've seen through the last few weeks, we see tyranny, don't we? We see a man who is abusing his power. We see a man who is consumed with with blood and murder. And he will will do whatever it takes to to carry out his ill intentions. Hopefully by now you see that. So what should our response be? Well, I think first of all, as the Scriptures tell us, we, we pray for those in authority over us, even those who who may be uh, tyrannical in in their governance, tyrannical towards us. We pray for them. We pray, as we often do here, that God would convert them. But does there come a time where a stand must be taken? And the answer is yes. The guards of Saul took that stand. They're an example to us, aren't they? Let me just give you two quotes from men that we, we respect. The first is John Knox. He said this, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Now think of, 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 the, of what John Knox went through, uh, of all that he did uh, as he faced uh, Mary, bloody Mary, and what he said against her. and He could have been killed at any time, but he did not stop speaking out against her. what was Mary's testimony of John Knotts? There was no man that she feared more than that Scottish preacher because he spoke the truth. And we're called to do the same. Uh, John Calvin on Daniel chapter 6 said this, "...earthly princes depose themselves while they rise against God. Yea, they are unworthy to be numbered among men. Rather, it behooves us to spit upon their heads..." than to obey them. Now he's speaking of of those men like Saul, those men who have the spirit of Antichrist, those men who are seeking the destruction of God's people. So we're to be brave. Now it could mean that as we resist such tyranny that we will die, right? Yes, that could be God's will for us. We don't know. It could be. But we trust Him. Second, we see this morning that David's fear is now replaced with faith. Again, I said last week, what is the antidote to fear? Faith. Now you might say, well, it wasn't great faith, but it's a humble faith, isn't it? It's a humble faith when David says, I want them to stay with you till I know what God will do for me. You see, David was trusting in God. He knew that God had a plan for him and he was trusting that. And God has a plan for us, doesn't He? Now, we don't know that plan, do we? We don't know what God has in store for us, but we know He has a plan. And we know that that plan is good and just. And so what are we called to do? To submit our lives to His plan and to understand that everything is for His glory and our good. Whatever happens, we trust Him. Now we think of the martyrs of the church. When many of them went to be burnt at the stake, were they cursing God? No, they were trusting Him. Many singing psalms as they were burnt by the the spirit of Antichrist. Many praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And they submitted to that plan and they trusted in their God. Third, we, we understand David's thoughts concerning how he was an accessory to murder in his mind. But notice, David did not compound that sin with another one. Now many times we do that, right? We sin. We sin daily. Every day we sin in thought and word and in deed. And sometimes to cover up our previous sin, we, we commit another sin, Right? We compound sin upon sin upon sin. But David doesn't do this. He, he doesn't murder the, the one that escaped in Abiathar. No, he had compassion. As he felt guilt in his heart, he set the course right by doing the right thing. Many of us have heard this saying. And we know it to be true in our hearts, even though we don't always live it out. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. This David did. He told Abiathar, I will protect you. Yes, it was partly my fault that what happened to your family, but do not worry. You are in safe keeping. And he did what was right. In the sight of God. And then finally, notice what David says. Stay with me, do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life, seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. And we can take those words and I believe we can apply them to Christ. And his relationship with his people. Who sought the life of Christ? Satan. Satan thought that if he got rid of the Messiah, that all would be well, and he, he did all he could to do that. Yet we know God was in complete control of it. Who, who seeks the, the lives of, of Christians? Really, it is Satan, isn't it? He is our enemy. If Satan had his way then probably all of us will be dead by now. But what do we know? We know that Christ defeated Satan in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And we know this, that in Christ there is safekeeping. We know that as Satan seeks to destroy the church and destroy the people of God, as that spirit of Antichrist will, until the coming of Christ in His glory, seek to destroy the people of God and, and the church, that in Christ we are safe. Now that may mean that some battles are lost. That may well mean Christians are put to death. As they are every day across this globe. But this we do know. The war is won by Christ. And that is our hope, isn't it? As we face uncertain days ahead. As we don't know what what may come. Or what may not come. What we do know is that Christ is already victorious. And as we are united to Jesus in faith. So are we. And we trust Him. And we know that in Jesus there is safe keeping. Christ has done all that is necessary for our redemption and salvation. Christ has done all that is required so that we might be saved. And so what is our response? It is simply to believe in Him. Trust Him as we turn from our sin. There is no greater refuge than Jesus. There is no other way of salvation than through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And you see, as we trust Him, as we come to Him in faith, we know that we are safe. We are safe from the wrath of God. We are safe from the attacks of Satan, even though he may come and take our lives. We are safe. Not just for today or tomorrow, but for all eternity. Do you know of that safekeeping this morning? Have you come to Christ? Do you recognize your sin and your need of Jesus as Savior and Lord? If not, then turn from your sin and come to Him. And Him alone for your salvation. For with Jesus, there is safekeeping. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And Father, we thank You how we see You work in the lives of Your people in Scripture and how it can be applied to situations today. Oh Lord, there is nothing new under the sun. But oh God, we ask and pray that we would take our refuge. In Jesus. I pray for any here this morning that has not done that, O oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit, change their hearts. Make them alive and point them to Christ and give them the very faith they need to believe. And may we all take that refuge as that found in the Lord Jesus. In Him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.